Welcome to episode 68 of the Pirate Monk Podcast. Coming to you live from high atop the Mellow Mushroom here in metropolitan downtown Franklin, Tennessee. I'm your host, Nate Larkin, here with our fearless engineer, Mondo the Man Grimes, and from all the way on the left coast, the Commodore, Aaron Porter. Hello, Aaron. Good morning. You sound like you're kind of tired in that introduction. Um, yeah. Okay, well, I'm not as juiced as I sometimes am on a Tuesday morning, but I'm not... You know what? I think it's the calming influence of having Joe Beam in the room. (laughs) Joe's here. Uh, Our longtime listeners will remember him. Uh, One of our all-time favorite broadcasts was a previous... Uh, show featuring Joe Beam, the Christian sexologist. Welcome, Joe. Well, it's good to be here. And quite often people get calm, even to the point of sleeping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, you have kind of a soporific effect on a (laughs) run. No, it's that that mellifluous voice. That really is an amazing radio voice. Did you use the words somberific and... I use use soporific and mellifluous. I'm, I'm writing this week, can you tell? Wow, I need to Google mellifluous because I don't even know that I've heard that before. Well, I have learned when you don't, if you don't know them, you just pretend you do. That's what you do. There you go. I just hope neither one of them was profanity. (laughs) Well, um, I I suppose we should ask a status question of Aaron. Uh, You know, how you doing out there, brother? Here on this third I week have, in September. I have had a great morning because for years I have been trying to explain that it takes as much faith to be a, a an atheist scientist as it takes to be a Christian. Yeah. We all live by faith. Yeah. And that's been very offensive to uh, certain people I've talked to in the scientific community, which I, I only understand in as much as... The way they describe themselves as scientists is trying to get away from the faith thing yeah. so they can feel a bit more in control. Mm-hmm. But this morning, uh, I was sent an article, since I'm on the board of directors at uh, the local aid support network, and we work with the community here that has AIDS, so I got sent an article this morning about the uh, the protein that was finally cracked after 10 years. Did you did, Have you read about this? No, yet? no. What's the deal? Yeah, when Fox and NPR give the same story, you know that there's some truth in it, right? <laughs> so evidently the scientists decided on a new way to go about trying to crack this, basically take apart some protein so that they would know how to deal with an enzyme that duplicates the cells, and, and they haven't been able to do it. So they made it a game and put it out to the gaming community. And in almost no time, somebody sitting at home, possibly without a job, just playing World of Warcraft all day, did what the scientists have not even been able to get close to doing. Wow. And I don't know why that made me laugh, except to just think, you know what, this amazing everything-in-my-control thing we call science is really just about discovering the thing that God's already put in place and if the gamers got as much shot at it as the guy who is probably still in college getting advanced degrees, then I think God is available to more people than we know. Absolutely. I, yeah. I don't know if that's the right conclusion for it, but I still think it's funny. 
<laughs> and that's wonderful good news. I, I, I take it that this is an advance in uh, a theoretical advance, a practical advance in AIDS treatment. Do you know? It's, it should be really practical because it's, uh, you know, it's about how to, uh, at, the, at the very first level, potentially have drugs that will stop the reproduction of wow. the virus itself. Wow. And then it can move towards becoming an antivirus that uh, that can possibly stop it from even happening. So the the potentials is the potential is amazing for this. Boy, what great news. What great news. And this is actually going to be kind of a new problem solving thing. Make games out of problems and put it out to people. Yeah. 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 So who'd have guessed? It's a good morning. Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I, I'd love to just go ahead and jump into conversation here with Joe Beam. Is that all right with you, Aaron? Yeah, sure. Yeah. Well, first I'm thinking, you think the gamers could work out my checkbook? <laughs> if you can make it a game and they can compete with each other, uh, yes. yes, they can. I think they can do anything. Hmm. You give and me a whole I new think concept. They ought to start getting girlfriends for it too. <laughs> <laughs> um, Joe, you have been working on some podcasts since uh, your first appearance on our show. That's correct. And mm-hmm. you put up some some terrific material that's available now on iTunes. Um, and I just got my first look at it this morning. I've got a, I got some serious listening to do. I am so intrigued by the way you titled the episodes, each with a question. Are these common uh, the, the questions? Uh, did you just pick the most common questions that are posed to you in your field of work? I picked some of the most common questions. Yeah. We often get more specific questions, particularly in the area of sexology, but than than the ones we use on the podcast. But we were trying to keep these at least PG. Uh huh. <laughs> and a lot of the questions we get, even from good Christian guys, are things that we are a little bit more careful about answering in, in which format we answer because they're so specific. But, yeah. yes, those are questions we get quite often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, you guys are both being incredibly vague on this, and yeah. Londo and I are very curious. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what are some of these titles that are that are on the podcast? Well, one of them, for example, is how often should a married couple make love to each other? And, and drum roll, drum three times a day. Drum roll, please. And no, actually, we didn't come to that same number. But believe it or not, we have some really good medical answers as to how often people should be doing that. And therefore, I answer from a scientific standpoint, actually a medical standpoint. We also talked about other things like why do people cheat? Uh, can one spouse save a marriage? And even with, well, okay, if I'm in love with somebody else... Why should I save my marriage? Those kinds of questions. And so these are the kind of questions we get, and therefore we answer as best we can. One of the most popular, interestingly, is my spouse is domineering and controlling. What can I do? Yeah, can you thumbnail that one for me? I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's, a, that's not an unusual uh, configuration for a marriage where one spouse feels dominated or mm-hmm. uh, and another perhaps is just taking control of the of the relationship absolutely it it can happen either way gender wise it can mm-hmm. be the female that's dominating or it can be the male that's dominating as you would expect it is more often the situation where it's the male that dominates yeah and quite often he has no concept that he is 
Yeah. In other words, he thinks they're very open and they can talk about anything. But anytime she opens her mouth, he corrects her. Yeah. Like, well, no, no, that's not the way that should be. Or you shouldn't think that way. Or why would you vote for that guy? Even to the point of saying, no, I don't think that's what you feel. I think what you feel is. Yeah. Yeah. Or you shouldn't feel that way. And the other person, after a while, finally just quits communicating. Yeah. They don't open their mouth because they feel like they're always corrected. They feel as if the other is acting like dad or mom. Mm-hmm. And, Nate, I would rather I would rather have ten couples come into my workshop where one of them is madly in love with somebody else mm-hmm. than one couple where one of them has been dominated for ten or fifteen or twenty years and has finally had it yeah. up to here. Yeah. It's much easier to save the adulterer situations than that one, believe it or not. Oh boy. Wow. And you know what? I am I have not heard it stated that starkly. But it does not surprise me that you would say that. Yeah, two things have to happen if you're going to do that. The first is that the dominating partner has to get it. Mm-hmm. Because typically they don't really think they are dominating. Mm-hmm. And often all you hear would be explanations. No, 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 I'm just trying to help her. Yeah. Or, no, no, I'm really a good guy. My intentions are. Mm-hmm. So if you can never get the dominating partner to get it, the second thing, which is even harder, is to get the other person to trust them again. Mm-hmm. Give them another chance. Yeah. Yeah. Hard to make both those things happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, in your workshops, your love path workshops, mm-hmm. you deal with an awful lot of relationships in crisis. Absolutely. They get people just on the brink, on the cusp. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of them have already filed the papers. I mean, they're quite often they come having already signed the papers. Yeah, yeah, not unusual. Yeah. yeah. The pastor convinces them to come or the children, or just pure conscience, or sometimes they actually come to get a better deal than a divorce. Of uh, of all the couples that walk in the door, 50% of them, the wife has been or is being unfaithful. Mm-hmm. And then we'll have another 20% or so where it's the husband that has been or is being unfaithful. Mm-hmm. So 70% of the couples that walk in the door are either in or coming off an extramarital affair, but by far it's the wife more than the husband. Uh-huh. I don't know why I'm surprised by that, but I am. Um uh, do you extrapolate from from those figures that that uh, women are unfaithful in their marriages more often than men are? Well, at least the ones that come to our workshop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> See, typically what happens is uh, she's been telling the guy for years, I'm unhappy, to which he replies, yes, we are. Mm-hmm. And then he starts explaining their happiness based on negative goodness. I don't drink. I don't cuss. I don't chew. Mm-hmm. I don't hang out with people that do. Therefore, we are happy happy people. Yeah, yeah. He's not listening to her at all. Until finally, she becomes so frustrated, so alone, yeah. so lonely, yeah. that uh, a person who appears to be, to be uh, Prince Charming rides up. Yeah, right. And it starts off almost always innocently, just somebody she starts talking to. The next thing she knows, he's fulfilling emotional needs by making her feel attractive, or mm-hmm. that he really cares about what she thinks, or mm-hmm. we can make a long list. And finally, she falls in love with a guy, and then when she falls in love with a guy, almost always it turns sexual. Not always, but almost always. Mm -hmm. And then it gets so intense that it's like, God sent me my deliverer. God sent me this guy. Now, the husband who'd been ignoring her for all these times, he's the one calling us. Yeah. (laughs) Saying, Uh save my marriage. And so he will do whatever he can to get her there. So at least in the situations we see... Mm-hmm. It is by far more often the wife. Now, statistically, out there in the general world, it's still more often the husband. Yeah. 
but the people we see in our workshops is more often the guy who is now desperately trying right. to save his marriage, bringing his But wife. what you guys do can help a couple in either situation. Yeah, oh yeah, we get both ways, obviously. Yeah. Uh, and yes, our success rate since 1999 has been 77%. That's just absolutely phenomenal. It's, you know, it's funny, uh, Joe, that in in the church, in my experience in the last 15 years, it, it seems to be very similar, both in numbers and reasons to what you just described. And I think there is such a huge, uh, such a huge thing that men need to hear in what you just said, that that intimacy, especially for the typical, when I say typical, I don't want any guys, if this is not them, to feel bad if this isn't the way they're wired. But statistically, most of the guys are wanting more sex and that that's such an important intimate link in their relationship, that that's connecting them to their wives, but that there is something equally as powerful driving their wives that starts with that emotional intimacy and not the physical intimacy. And when they're deprived of that, what's happening in their hearts is no different than guys who are very angry because they don't have the physical intimacy. And it's also more dangerous because crossing that line for a guy to go get physical intimacy is very obvious. And in the church, it's clearly stated as a sin, whereas a wife can slip into that emotional intimacy being met with a coworker, or someone at a gym or something like that, and it starts to happen before it would even be articulated as a sin per se. And I think guys need to need to guard that in their wives in a in a whole different way than most guys are even aware to. Well I, I think you're exactly right. And and it does happen with guys that way as well, you wouldn't understand. But no one puts up any barriers because everybody is just good people. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I would never do anything bad, and this is just a friendship, and I'm lonely. And so you're exactly right. That's exactly the way it happens, and it's rampant, absolutely rampant. Mm. Uh, do you see uh, the Facebook phenomenon a lot, Got people connecting through oh, Facebook yes. and absolutely. classmates.com and that kind of stuff, the social networking Yes, we have at least one couple, if not two couples, every month from that. Mm-hmm. Just the other day, I talked to a man who is an elder in his church mm-hmm. who has reconnected with an old flame on Facebook. Yeah. He has left his wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, for some reason, the church removed him as an elder for that. I'm not sure uh, why that... Narrow-minded people. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, here's what he told me. He said, you know, God has given me a second chance to make it right yeah. with that gal. Yeah, yeah. And I said, what about your wife? Well... I probably was meant to be with the other gal to begin with, and now that we've reconnected on Facebook, uh, we ha- we see more Facebook affairs than you can shake a stick at. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's why I, I think it's crucially important. If uh, you know, if married folks are on Facebook, they need to be on each other's accounts. They need to be looking at each other's pages and each other's messages and. Uh, uh, but yeah, you just got to keep that wide open. Oh yeah, a lady called me on one of the local talk shows here on the radio here in, in the Nashville area, and she said my lover has a separate Facebook account that his wife doesn't know about. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he's in love with me, and he's going to divorce her, and he's going to marry me, 
And, it, and I said, his wife doesn't know. There's no way he can find that other account. I said, so just like you won't be able to find his next other account after you marry him, right? Ooh. And she she paused and said, I never thought about that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, wow. Wow. Um, if uh, How would you answer this question, Joe? If a guy comes in and says, look, the... the uh, the passion is just gone. The love is gone between my wife and I. And yeah, we had some years together, and yeah, we have some kids together, but I have connected uh, spiritually and emotionally and deeply mm-hmm. with another person. Why Why in the world should I expend any more energy uh, on my, uh, you know, on a marriage that's that's gone? Well, that's really a long answer, so let me try to give it the briefest version that I can. <clears throat> When they start feeling that way, Nate, uh, that emotion, that intensity of emotion, by the way, we actually study it in the social sciences. It's called limerence, L-I-M-E-R-E-N-C-E. We know it's going to last anywhere from three months to 36 months. Yeah. And then most people will end by the end of time. The limerence will change. So we point out to them the emotions you're feeling now are not the emotions you're going to feel three years from now. Secondly, if a person goes in contradiction to his or her belief and value system, which this person would be doing. I, mm-hmm. I know I'm married to this one, but I'm really in love with that one. They change. Mm-hmm. They become a different person. The easier way to see it is in reverse. If you see some heathen have a genuine conversion experience, they become a totally new person. Yeah. Well, it happens just the other way around. Mm. That a person that was really the good person, if he or she violates and abandons their belief and value system, will also become a very different person, but it won't be as good, if, yeah. if you'll allow me to use that phrase. So we help them see lots and lots of things about, here's what's going to happen in the future. The difficulty is they're working out of emotions, yeah. and logic doesn't mean much yeah. to them. Yeah. So I just, well, the other, day, the other day this guy said, I know God will bless me with this woman I'm in love with as we leave our spouses. Mm-hmm. And I said, really? How do you know that? He said, well, there's a story in the Bible. I said, I gotta hear this one. Which which one is it? He said, oh, after David and Bathsheba fell in love with each other, mm-hmm. God actually gave her to him because their love was so deep, which shows that God will do that. Mm-hmm. I walked him through the story. I won't go through the long version of it now, but walked him through the story. Number one is there's no indication they loved each other. Mm-hmm. It was a one night stand. Secondly, when her husband died, the Bible says she mourned him. Yeah. By the way, she already knew she was pregnant. She had no idea that David killed him. In your experience with people, she probably would have been praying, God, I'm pregnant. It's not my husband's. Please fix this. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you know she finds out her husband's dead. How do you think she's dealing with that emotion? Oh, man. <laughs> well, it's got to be some just some self-blame, some oh, self-hatred. Yeah. And I killed him. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. And then the baby dies. And then... One of David's daughters get raped and gets raped, and then the son that did the raping is killed by another son. Then that son starts an insurrection and tries to kill David. So I pointed out to him, I said, "Well, if you're willing to have three of your sons die and your daughter get raped, metaphorically, yeah, then yeah, go ahead and take her. That's fine. But the indication is never that she loved David and David loved her. They had a one night stand. The indication is he married her out of responsibility. Yeah, it's like now I've got to take care of this child. So. <laughs> If you look at that and say, see how God blessed them, I'm going, your concept of blessings and mine are very, very different. Mm. What a terrible thing to have happen. Yeah. Wow. 
it's that's it, so uh it ties in with some of the folks that I've uh, talked to that have dealt with same-sex struggles that use a similar thought, which is if I love this other person so much, how can that be wrong? It it must be right because of this emotion attached to it. And I remember a, a pastor friend of mine was was so great in the way he would articulate this and say, you know what, God's called us to the same thing, which is to betray our hearts because he's creating a new heart. And when when we start to face that that emotion, the intensity, that that is not dictating what's right and wrong. And I think people, and I'd be curious what you think about this, Joe. I don't think people actually really deep down believe what they're saying at those moments. It's kind of a surface level. I, I have to believe it because I feel it so intensely. But then if you pose it as, yeah, my emotions say I like that woman walking by and it's a strong emotion, so I should just go have her, we'd say, well, that's ridiculous. It's not the same thing. But it is in the same genre of things. There are lots of things I want intensely that I know I have to betray to be following Jesus. And God's promising that he's creating something new in me that's going to be better. It's not just the denial of one thing. It's the deeper experience of another. And I think if people, I mean, how can they get that peace that it's okay? This is what you're supposed to do. The Spirit's going to help you do it. You just can't believe that lie that you just described. I'm going to give you a second to think about that, Joe. We'll be right back on the Pirate Monk Podcast. And we're back with Joe Beam here on the Pirate Monk Podcast. Well, pick up, will you, Joe, on uh, on where we were just a moment ago with Aaron, and uh, and how we, uh, how reliable are our emotions mm-hmm. uh, as as moral guides? Yeah, actually, Aaron made a couple of really great points. The first is that is is there some part of me that even if I'm voicing okay, I feel this emotion, therefore God must be giving me this person, etc. Mm-hmm. Is there a part of them that knows that that's not true? The answer to that is absolutely. The first part that happens is what's called compartmentalized thinking. If I have two thoughts that are in contradiction to each other, I just won't let them touch the other. Mm-hmm. Everybody does some compartmentalized thinking. You can't do it forever. When they finally come in conflict with each other, uh, that you know you're violating your belief and, and values, you go into what's called cognitive dissonance. Mm-hmm. Dissonance means disharmony. Now you've got disharmony in your head. You're going to make some kind of a choice to find harmony or peace. You're either going to choose to go with your belief and value system, mm-hmm. or you're going to choose to go with your behavior. Mm-hmm. Now, if you choose to go with your belief and value system, there will still be some grief and mourning because you're giving up what you wanted. Mm-hmm. But deep, deep down, there's a peace. If you do it the other way around, where you give up your belief and value system to get what you want, there's a kind of euphoria because mm-hmm. I'm getting what I want. But deep, deep down, there is no peace mm-hmm. because you know it's wrong. And then as to the, the emotion being a great guide, if you go back to David's son, Amnon, who raped David's daughter, Tamar, which mm-hmm. was Amnon's half-sister, mm-hmm. it's interesting what the Bible says there. It says, the hatred with which he hated her was stronger than the love with which he had loved her. You see, he thought he was madly in love with her. Mm. That's why he took her. 
And then when it was over and he had to come face to face with what he had done, he hated her. Mm -hmm. I think we would know from modern day psychology he hated himself. But mm -hmm. he had to aim that at somebody, so he aimed at her. And I have seen that I don't know how many times, Nate, mm -hmm. where that this emotion was so intense, God is with me, et cetera, et cetera. But at some point they finally come face to face with how bad it was. And then they hate everybody, yeah. <laughs> particularly their partner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's it's in those cases, you know, when it's when it's over and done, that we still have to, I think, throw ourselves upon the mercy of a redeeming God, who can still, in the end, even through all the grief, even through all the consequence, bring some redemption, some peace. Yes. Yeah. Um, you know, our guest last week, Joe, was uh, a local therapist named Rob Kerwin, who uh, talked in a very fascinating way about emotionally focused therapy mm -hmm. uh, in marriage work and about this deep need that all of us have for a safe emotional connection with another person. That's correct. Mm -hmm. um, it seems to me that very often in your work you encounter, uh, 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 you know, uh, you encounter couples who have, at this point, severed an initial emotional connection uh, with a spouse, somebody mm -hmm. they've made vows to, and and at least one of those partners has now made an, an emotional connection with somebody else. That's correct. Uh, and now um, your challenge is to help them look to the long term, mm -hmm. uh, look to their look to their own most deeply held values. Mm -hmm. Um, do the painful work of separating uh, an emotional connection that uh, that 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 isn't legitimate, and somehow reestablish an mm -hmm. emotional connection with a spouse. Mm -hmm. um, can you walk us through that? So, what, what are some of the challenges? And yeah, yeah. let's let's just talk right now to a to a subscriber, somebody who's listening to this podcast who at this point is just torn, so ambivalent, mm -hmm. uh, want to do the right thing. Maybe they're, they're not in a situation where they hate their spouse, but those limerence is long past. Mm -hmm. That deep emotional connection isn't there. It's pretty much dead. Right. And there is kind of this glimmer of really something alive, or at least the hope of something with somebody else. Mm -hmm. Uh, and now just the torture of being in that torn place. What do you tell that person? Well, we spend three entire days talking to that person. Yeah. It's awfully difficult to do it all in, yeah. in one little segment. Yeah. You are definitely right, Nate. It is a painful, painful place to be. Yeah. We, first of all, we start off by not being in a judgmental situation with them so that they turn us off. In other words, we're not a safe emotional place. Yeah, yeah. So we, it's like, even if you make a decision that we believe is absolutely wrong, we respect your right to make that decision. If God will let you make your own decisions, so will I. Yeah. So we get involved in that situation and let them make their own decisions. Secondly, we treat them with unbelievable respect so they can begin to have a safety with us. Uh -huh. So they can be safe emotionally to share their feelings with us. We also do a lot of work with this other spouse, indicating to them Here's how you become a safe emotional place. Mm. Now, some spouses can. Some spouses can't. can't. Yeah. Some spouses are so angry or hurt or bitter or full of rage that what we teach them. 
if if you can actually become a safe emotional place again to your spouse, things will change. Without being able to explain it in great detail here, mm-hmm. which I really can't. I'll give you an example. I helped one lady uh, a few years ago become such a safe place to her husband that he finally said to me, the only two people that understand me are my lover and my wife. Wow. <laughs> he said, my wife's becoming my best friend. Now, you can imagine where that finally led to. Yeah. We were able to help them reconcile the marriage. So we teach the spouse who's being cheated on or being abandoned, whatever phrase you want to use, how they can become a safe place. And they often ask, will this necessarily bring my spouse back? Not necessarily. But if anything works, this will. Yeah. And then we teach them a great system about how to do that. Then we help the other person begin to think through, not just logically. Now, we're talking about the, the unfaithful person. Yeah. Not just logically, but logic, uh, not just logically, but also emotionally about what they're going through, why they're there. Yeah. Some of the conversation you and I had over coffee this morning, what precipitated all of this. Yeah. Uh-huh. And, and let's deal with some of those issues, which may predate their marriage. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's a pretty complicated system. That's why yeah. it takes three days to do it. And it doesn't just work with adultery. We, it works with just about every marriage situation we've ever seen. Yeah. Gambling, uh, sexual compulsivity, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But it's really all the same process. The good news is if you can put people in a room for three days, even if they don't want to be there, mm-hmm. if you can get them to participate for the three days, Three out of four couples will actually figure out how to do it and save their marriage. Now, I don't mean to be secretive. I would actually be glad to explain it, but I don't think you want this thing to be three days long. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Um, This is, uh, you know, what struck me as you were talking just now, Joe is uh, how it's. I think so many of us we we, we become unsafe emotionally mm-hmm. for those we love. That's right. Without even realizing it. Uh, very often, I suspect, because uh, we were never emotionally safe ourselves in prior relationships. Maybe we were trained in the in in ways to be. Uh, Condescending or dismissive or domineering, Sarcastic. yeah, mm-hmm. judgmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we were. Yeah, wonder if you can speak to that a little bit. What are the what are some of the behaviors and attitudes uh, that a spouse can adopt and exhibit that corrode trust and 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 work to the detriment of long term of a relationship with a spouse or with a child. Yeah, exactly, because it does find application there just as well. Yeah. Or with your best friend or your mama. I mean, it's just a general principle of life. Yeah. We teach them that anything that communicates disrespect is going to hurt. Mm. So, for example, if you ignore the other person, yeah, uh, you know, here's what I think. Uh, I don't pay attention to what you think. Or if you um, uh, if you try to control the other person in any shape, fashion, or form. Yeah, I want you to be this. But and that particularly is easily seen in children. No, no, I don't want you to grow up to be a chef. I want you to grow up to be a doctor. You do what I want you to do. Yeah. And we start controlling that way. If we embarrass the other person, yeah, uh, it's terrible how that will occur, and so forth and so on. So I've seen people correct each other in public, correct yeah. their pronunciations. It's applicable, not applicable. Yeah. And and so what I've started doing in my workshops, particularly, 
I think probably that was God calling. <laughs> what do you think? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he or, does or have my number. Or <laughs> 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 it was either that or the beginning of round two. I'm not sure. <laughs> yeah. uh, I have no idea what I was just talking about. <laughs> okay. uh, you're talking about, uh, about uh, embarrassing a spouse in public. Uh, and so you've seen it. You've seen it over and over again, where people do. And by the way, mm-hmm. this is, you know, as Allie and I have done post mortem on the first twenty years of our marriage. We're married thirty two years now, mm-hmm. but those first twenty years were miserable. Uh, and and for those twenty years, I was acting out sexually. Mm-hmm. Um, Allie has actually said that the worst part of those twenty years was not my sexual unfaithfulness. Not the marital unfaithfulness. Really, the, f- the worst part she said was the con the condescension with which I treated her. Mm. And uh, and I look back and I just I just wince mm-hmm. at the my patronizing attitude toward my wife. I did all of these things, Joe. Mm-hmm. I was I was so dismissive and and corrected her in public and tried to control and tried to script and I was all all and I never would have seen I was are you kidding I was the perfect husband just helpful all I am is just helpful did she ever say to you I wish I had a recorder so I could record how you talk to me oh man yes how did you know that <laughs> because I, every husband I've ever talked to <laughs> yeah uh-huh and, and I am in the first section of our marriage Alice would say that to me and I said I talk to you just fine <laughs> yeah I I what I'm trying to do now, for example, if, if you and Allie were sitting in one of our workshops and you did one of those things, yeah. let's say you corrected her pronunciation or yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. something that you would see as just being helpful. Yeah. Typically what I do is I'll stop and I'll ask the guy or the gal if she did it. Yeah. How do you think she felt about what you just did? Uh-huh. And typically, initially, the guy or the gal will go, well, probably appreciated my helping them out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. No. Yeah. <laughs> what else do you think they might have felt? And then I'll ask the rest of the group, what do you think she or he just felt? Yeah. And the whole group gets it. Yeah. You yeah. embarrassed her. Yeah. And then finally I look at her and say, how did you feel? She's embarrassed. Now, it's interesting how sometimes it takes days for, for the one who does it to finally catch on. Because every time I would ask him or her, how do you think he or she just felt yeah. about what you did? Yeah. They didn't have any concept of the yeah. other person's emotion. But after a while, the class would speak up. Yeah. <laughs> Let me tell you what he just felt. Let me tell you what she just felt. And it's a, it's a way of learning how to think, not what is my intent. I'll, I'll give you an example. We had a black couple in our workshop, and this guy wasn't getting it. I said, let me explain it this way. I said, I'm from the South. I grew up in the South. I'm 62. We call everybody boy. I said, how would you feel if I called you boy? Mm-hmm. He bristled and he said, I wouldn't like it very much. I said, but my intention would be fine. He said, wouldn't matter. And I said, there's my point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How is it affecting the other person? Yeah. What are they hearing? So sometimes in my mind with Alice, my Alice, I I actually mentally get up and move around to the other side of the table and yeah. sit next to her. Yeah. I mentally picture myself doing that and think, now, how can I be on her side? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> rather than on the other side of the table, which means how do I defend her emotions rather than offend her emotions? Yeah, yeah. You know, and for me, you know, in our marriage, part of my work of amends was was going back to the kids and explaining to our adult kids how I had misrepresented 
their mm-hmm. mother to them. Uh, I would enlist them sometimes in what uh, and I thought was this light-hearted joking the mm. way we just together we kind of made fun of mom it's what we did mm. and she would grit her teeth and smile and all that kind of stuff and and uh, it was so healing for our, our marriage the kids then came back and I remember my son called youngest son called my wife crying and said you know all these years I thought you were such a weak person and now I understand that you're mm. a strong one. It did. St- that was so healing for my wife. That's amazing. It was so important for me to do it, but I couldn't do it until I saw it. That's a great, great story. Yeah, yeah. I'll use that. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll give you credit. Okay. <laughs> but I'll, I have to tell couples that. That's an awesome story. Uh, I want to make sure that our listeners know where they can find these great resources, these podcasts. Uh, they're on iTunes, aren't they? Uh, yeah, we'll go over there. In the meantime, let me say that if they want to find us directly, they yeah. can go to marriagehelper.com, marriagehelper.com, or if they forget that, jobeam.com. If they go to jimbeam.com, they'll find a totally different answer. <laughs> <laughs> jobeam.com. And I think I think we're listed as Love Path, L-O-V-E-P-A-T-H, one word, on iTunes. All right. In the... Uh if you if you're on the podcast player, go to the health section from there to self help, and then uh, if you if you look for uh, Joe Beam or Love Path, you'll find these great podcasts. Uh, engineered, by the way, by our very capable friend, Mr. Mondo. Mondo Thanks. made it happen, didn't he? <laughs> he always does. Mondo makes it happen. <laughs> well. Joe, it sure has been good to have you back. Nate, with it us is always a thrill to be around you. You're an awesome human being. Well, I'll go right back at you. We got a mutual admiration society going right here. I think dues are due. Uh, well, I think we've about wrapped up uh, the hour. This edition of the Pirate Monk Podcast. We'll look forward to seeing you all again next week here on the Pirate Monk. And wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! Wait a minute! I, I, I've got I've got the what, the greatest radio voice we've had on the show is sitting right there in the chair, yeah, that's true. and I'm still I'm still doing the voiceover at the end. We need kind of we need to get Joe to kind of do this celebrity voiceover thing, uh, something that we can you know snatch and maybe use. Oh, okay. okay, okay. But nobody can say that like you. It, say it one more time, just for me. <laughs> the Pirate Monk Podcast. There you go. <laughs> okay, I love that. So I want you to, can you do this bit for us? It's Joe Beam saying, let me see, I'm Joe Beam, and this is the Pirate Monk Podcast. Can you do that for us? I'll try. I'm Joe Beam, and this is the Pirate Monk Broadcast. Very good. Excellent. And we're out of here. See you next week. Shame.